good day, friends. Welcome to Tuesday, April the 11th. Thanks for joining me for today's episode of Enough for Today. We're in Psalm 76, so join me there, and I hope your day's off to a good start. Psalm 76, I want to read the first six verses, and then I want to back up and tell you the story of this psalm. You can read it in Isaiah 37 and 38, and also in 2 Kings 18 and 19, and I will tell you it is worth pausing to read the story as you understand this psalm, but I'm going to tell it to you, so um, I won't give you all the details to leave you some space to uh, read it for yourself, but Psalm 76 one says, in Judah is God known. His name is great in Israel. In Salem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. There break he the arrows of the bow, the shield and the sword and the battle, Selah. Thou art more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted are spoiled. They have slept their sleep and none of the men of might have found their hands. At thy rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and the horse are cast into a dead sleep. So what is all of this talking about? Well, this goes back to the reign of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king in Judah, the southern kingdom, during the invasion of the Assyrians. The Assyrians came in over a couple of waves and they destroyed the northern kingdom. I talked about that a few days ago. Uh, They came from the north, from Dan all the way down through Samaria, and they conquered, they pillaged, they destroyed. They got to the borders of Jerusalem. They even kind of flanked Jerusalem because they got to the city of Lachish, which was a strong military outpost sort of to the southwest of Jerusalem. It's out out towards where the Philistines were from. It's kind of where David defeated Goliath near the Valley of Elah. You can go to the ruins of Lachish today and you can see uh, how this city was a place where they trained uh, chariot horses um, and where they had a lot of their um, armaments. So, so the Assyrians come all the way to Lachish. They're surrounding Jerusalem. They begin to threaten Jerusalem. King Hezekiah panics. I mean, he's scared. And he has restored the worship of God in Jerusalem. God sent him specifically to do that. I um, really identify with the story of Hezekiah personally because God used the story of Hezekiah's restoration to really give me my commission um, personally in my own following of the Lord, in my own study, in my own scripture reading. Uh, Do I have time to tell you the story? I was flying my first trip to visit Connecticut in May of 2012, I was preaching in Brooklyn, New York. So I was flying into LaGuardia. I took a red eye a day early so that I could, uh, so that my friend Ray, from the pastor from Brooklyn, could drive me up to Connecticut just for a couple of hours. And I wanted to spend some time with the Lord and seek him and, and walk the campus and see the church. Well, as I was uh, landing in the approach to LaGuardia a couple hours, maybe an hour before we landed. I opened up my scripture reading for that day. I was going through the word of God in a year. And that day brought me to the story of Hezekiah and the restoration. And in, in particular, um, God said to, to Hezekiah, um, 
open the doors. He may have even said repair the doors and light the lamps in process of restoration. I cannot explain uh, the, the mysterious ways that God works, but when I read that story, um, it was very specific to me that God, that his spirit was saying, this is for you. Um, repair the doors and light the lamps. And uh, I didn't fully, I just made note, okay, okay, this is for me. I'm not sure how. And this is the way God works. You'll read something in scripture that you know, that you know in some way he, he intends to use in your life, but you don't quite see it yet. And then uh, in, in the next afternoon or the next day or the next week, it becomes clear. Something unfolds in your life and God says, this is, this is how you needed this. And you say, is that a viable way? Yeah, that is a viable way. That's exactly what Jesus said would happen. He taught his disciples and he said, the spirit of God is going to bring remembrance, is going to bring all these things to your remembrance and you're going to know. Um, and so that's, he still d- does that with his word. He, he teaches us something in his word and, and we, we know we need it. <laughs> and then we come into a moment where he brings it to remembrance and we're like, oh, this is why he said this to me. So um, we landed, got in the car, drove up to Connecticut. The first thing I saw about Emmanuel was um, a light bulb sitting up on the sign because the, it had been unscrewed from the light socket. So the sign could not be lit at night. And you could see the socket sticking up from the grass with no light bulb. You could see the light bulb sitting upside down on the sign, big floodlight. And I thought, well, that's weird. Like, what? why would a church have a light bulb unscrewed and sitting upside down on the sign? And uh, it, it wasn't because there was a groundskeeper that was working on the sign that day. That light bulb had been sitting there for who knows how long probably long enough for people to stop seeing it except for anybody that passed by that didn't understand why and as I saw that I remembered light the lamps now what I didn't know uh, until later that evening was that half or more than half the lights in the parking lot didn't work (laughs) so when God said light the lamps he was pretty serious brighten the place up and we've done nothing for 10 years but try to brighten the place up both paint colors we choose, lights we put in, uh, interior and exterior, we've tried to bring brightness uh, spiritually and physically and electrically to uh, the work of God. And uh, so light the lamps. And then the very next thing I saw was some men standing on a curb uh, by the main door, the main entrance. And at the main entrance, there were two doors there, uh, two sets of doors. And uh, this one was blocked off and with signs that said, use other door, this door's broken. And, uh, and I remember, repair the doors. Light the lamps, repair the doors. And uh, I had a terrible gut feeling in that moment that this was the assignment of God. Now, that was scary, uh, so I identify with Hezekiah's fear. Now, back to the story of Hezekiah. Hezekiah goes to the Lord, lays out, this letter of threatening from Sennacherib, I'm leaving out a lot of detail, but Sennacherib's armies had been just threatening. And if you think God's going to save you, you're wrong. And um, we're here and we're going to come in and, you know, you belong to us now. So Hezekiah takes the threatening letter, goes up to the temple, lays it out and prays and says, Lord, what do you want us to do? Uh, this is your place. This is your city. These are your people. What do you want us to do? Um, 
And God says, basically, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Like, don't worry. I've got this well in hand, and I'm going to win the battle for you. Um, and I'm going to send back Sennacherib and, his, and not his army, but Sennacherib's going to go back the way he came. So that night, they, they go to sleep, and God sends his angel to put a deep sleep on the army the entire army of the Assyrians, 185,000 soldiers surround Jerusalem. They all fall asleep, and he kills them all in their sleep. And so the morning comes, the sun rises, there is no battle, um, the army is dead. They're all gone, and Snacharib turns back and goes back to Assyria, and his sons kill him as he's worshiping his pagan god in a pagan temple in uh, Nineveh, I think it's Nineveh. Um, so God wins the war. Now you read secular accounts of world history. Sennacherib was on his way to Egypt to conquer Egypt. <laughs> he was just conquering and pillaging as he goes. You read the accounts and you'll find out and they'll say for some unknown reason, Sennacherib stopped at Jerusalem and turned around and went back to Assyria and never proceeded into Egypt. So this is, this is historical as well as biblical. But I've taken too much time today. What does all this mean? This psalm is the celebration of God winning the victory that Israel couldn't see for themselves. So when you read about God being glorious, more glorious than the mountains of prey, the lion of Judah is more glorious than the lions that were waiting for them in the mountains. Um, the stout-hearted, the presumptuous, the proud have been spoiled while they slept in their sleep. And the, the mighty men can't, haven't been able to find their hands. <laughs> I love that phrase. At, at God's rebuke, the God of Jacob, uh, the chariot and the horse are cast into a deep sleep. God completely disabled the army, the massive, the mighty army of the Assyrians. Uh, it's a tragic story because the armies of the north, the northern kingdom, didn't have the faith that Hezekiah had to go and put the, this thing in God's hands. They had long since rejected God. Jerusalem, with Hezekiah's leadership, had still turned back to God. Uh, it, the story's going to unfold that after Hezekiah, they're going to fall back away, and Babylon later is going to come in and have its victory over the city of Jerusalem uh, because they wouldn't trust the Lord. So it's just a temporary victory in this moment, but it does show that God can still do the impossible. And for me, my friend, the reason I love this story and this celebration is he, has still, he is still doing the impossible for us. And that means he can still do the impossible for you. So lay it out to God and trust him. Whatever is burdening you today, Happy Tuesday. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow.